with you guys. I was out at Pickerington last week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we have a second campus out at Pickerington, and they are doing great. So it is good. You guys ready to have some fun? Yeah. All right. So when I was out at Pickerington, I found something interesting coming out of my mouth. I was uh, as shocked as anybody to hear it. And so I began to prophesy, and I began to talk about um, how God spoke to me a year and a half ago about how entrepreneurship was going to explode at Zion. And uh, I just was kind of recounting these things. And all of a sudden, what came out of my mouth was, and this fall, we're going to have a laboratory to help people go from zero to launch and start kingdom businesses. And I thought, well, well, that sounds exciting. How are we going to do that? And so I cannot wait to find out. And actually, uh, the very next day, God just began to show me some things. And so this fall, we are going to have a laboratory to help people start kingdom businesses and go from zero to launch. You know, the number one reason why businesses fail is because they try to scale too early. And so we're actually going to walk through a process. How do you become fruitful before you multiply? Otherwise, you're just going to multiply dysfunction and unlearn lessons. Okay, and so how do you actually prove out an idea? And so there's actually a proven process out there that's been tested on uh, like 10,000 businesses. And so um, very exciting stuff. So stay tuned. You guys good? Today I want to talk to you, I'm going to, the title of this message, I'm stealing a phrase from Steve Backlund, which is always a good idea. The title of this message is, Nobody Wants to Have Flabby Beliefs. True. So have you ever seen like a professional athlete that showed up on game day like out of shape? It's like, man, that's like your one job is to, like to be in shape, to show up ready for this thing. So back in the 90s, I used to watch a lot of boxing. I don't know why I did. And so I remember, I think it was like my sophomore year in college. Um, man, Mike Tyson was just destroying everybody back in like the late 80s, early 90s. It was ugly. It was like, is this thing going to even get out of the first round? I mean, those punches, I mean, you could like feel them through the television set where we're watching them. It was just like, oh my gosh. And it, it was just destroying people. So he's going to fight this guy named Buster Douglas. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> and so uh, Buster Douglas was a very talented fighter. He had beaten several former champions. And, uh, but he had a reputation for kind of being lazy in his training. But for the Tyson fight, he showed up, uh, I mean, he trained hard, and he, beat, he actually knocked out Mike Tyson in 10 rounds, which was just, I remember watching the fight and just being in complete shock. I mean, he, it wasn't like a lucky punch. He pretty much dominated the whole fight. It was absolutely amazing. And so here's what happened. After victory and after the millions of dollars, he just kind of let himself go. And like, not as bad as like Thor and Avengers Endgame's like let go. <laughs> you know, not like, like Jabba the Hutt level, but it was, it was bad. And so his next fight is going to be against Evander Holyfield, and he basically didn't train much for the fight. He did more boozing and partying and eating than he did training. And he showed up about 20 pounds overweight, and, um, and uh, Evander Holyfield takes him out and threw him. Do I need to switch mics? I feel like I'm... Is it echoing? To, is it just me? Can you guys hear that? <laughs> half of you are saying yes, half of you are saying no. And so uh, I'll talk to the ones who are not hearing the echo here. You know what? This is bugging me here, so let's just try this here. They'll fix it. All right, they'll fix it. We will keep going. And so, um, listen, you're not going to remain a champion in a professional athletic sport if you are flabby, unless you're a sumo wrestler. And I'm not sure, like, what the rules are or things like that. I guess it's, like, an advantage to be huge. And so, um, but listen, guys, it's the same way in the Christian life. Nobody wants flabby beliefs. Believing right is the key to the victorious life. Um, let me let's put it this way. The power of the Christian life is in right believing. Yeah. A lot of people are focused on, on right behavior. If I can just act right, then God will do this. Listen, right believing always leads to right behaving. If you have a behavior problem, you have a belief problem. There's good news. There's something that you can do about it. So um, listen to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. 
uh, listen, God made two covenants. He made an old blood covenant and a new blood covenant. Okay, and so he begins off here, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. He had, the writer of Hebrews had just said, God found fault with the old covenant. Why? Because man kept screwing it up and putting himself under curses. Okay, but we'll get to that. Uh, verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. Say new covenant. With the house of Israel. Thank you, youth group. I appreciate that. I hear that over there. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. I want you to get that. It's not like that. It's not like a new and improved version if you, you know. You know. I think a lot of people think the new covenant's like the new old covenant. We get forgiven. We kind of get a do-over. It's like a mulligan in golf. Right? It's like, oh, hey, yeah, whoa, that was a terrible shot. You shanked that one in the woods. Mulligan, you get a do-over. No, no, you don't get a do-over. And it, uh, you get a whole new existence. You get put into a new realm called righteousness where God is dealing with you not based on your behavior, but based on Jesus' behavior. Can you imagine living in a realm where your relationship with God is as perfect as Jesus' relationship with God? If you're able to imagine that, you'll be able to reign in life, is what the Bible says. Through the, gift of, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you reign in life. What's the gift of righteousness? You didn't earn it. You receive this gift where God puts you into a realm called righteousness. That's the air in which you live and breathe, move and have your being. It's not like that covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What's the covenant he made with them when he brought them in Egypt? The Ten Commandments. Boy, there is a lot of people like, listen... They're like, oh, we need to put the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. No, we need to put the forgiveness of sins in the courthouse. You don't need the old covenant in the courthouse. You know what the Bible calls that? The ministry of condemnation and the ministry of death. If we could just get the Ten Commandments back in the school, no. That's what's killing Christians is they're trying to live up to the Ten Commandments. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. God's saying, I'm going to make a new covenant, and it's not like those Ten Commandments. Listen, every one of us has broken the Ten Commandments. You know what the last one says? You can't even want to do any of the first nine. You're like, haven't murdered? Check. <laughs> Have you driven lately? Then you've, yeah. You've wanted to commit murder. Okay. This is the, so, um, all right, verse 9. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern from them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. He's describing the new covenant. After those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. Here's what this means. God's not going to write the Ten Commandments in your heart so that you can now, you know, you don't have to look at the Ten Commandments. They're in your heart. No, no, here's what it means. He's going to put a whole new set of desires in your heart. In the book of Ezekiel, when he describes it, he says he's going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and move you to follow his decrees. Under the new covenant, you'll follow everything. Here's what the old covenant was after. Love God, love people. If you want to to boil down all those laws, it comes down to love God and love people. Under the new covenant, you'll do everything the old covenant was after without any reference to the law. You're going to love God and love people because he's going to put a new set of desires. He's going to lead you on the inside. He's going to change your want-tos. I love how he puts it in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. He's going to change your want-tos and give you the how-tos. 
I remember uh, when Mary and I, we lived in North Carolina. We were on staff at a church. I was an um, associate pastor, also known as a sociopastor. And, um, and so we were on staff in this family. They had a really bad fire in their house. And so they lost like just about everything. And so Mary and I, we were living a little bit above the poverty line at the time. And so we were, we were just broke. It was terrible. And uh, anyone who thinks poverty is a blessing, you've never been broke. It's horrible. Okay? And so um, anyway, that's a whole other message. I'm sorry. And so, the, uh, so we got these friends, and so we had these terrible pots and pans. And like, it wasn't like we like, you know, like gourmet chefs, but they were, I don't know where we got these things from, but they seemed like they like, all like burned from the bottom right into the inside, you know what I'm talking about. And like the Teflon, like every time we'd make eggs, like they'd have like Teflon chunks in the eggs. Like, like they, they were just like, like cheap pans. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And it was just, they were terrible. And so Mary's dream was to buy a set of cookware from Pampered Chef. Do you guys remember that cult, the Pampered Chef? It's not a cult. It's not a cult. I'm kidding, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, come over. I'm cooking this stuff for you. Want to buy it? You know. But it was this stoneware. And one of their kind of value propositions was, you know, you're not going to burn your food, which we needed that help. I'm just going to be honest with you. All right? So. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to make any jokes, but yeah. I can't even tell you how many times my mother-in-law... We, uh, she, I mean, I used to tease her all the time, but it, I mean, it's happened dozens of times, like not like three times, dozens of times, where she did not use a um, timer to tell when the food was done. She used a smoke detector, like literally. <laughs> like I, I can't even tell you how many fires. Not like oh, it's burning, like like flames coming out of the thing, and like 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 these burnt offerings. You're treating me like God, you know? It was just like this weird thing. So anyway, so Mary's like, hey, we've been saving up this money to buy the, the Pampers Chef stoneware. What if we take that money and we, and we, uh, you know, and we buy this other couple, this uh, set of, of cookware? And, you know, this is like back in like the you know, late, late 90s, and we're learning how to hear God's voice. You know, we had like a lot of like mixture teaching, you know, like God loves you, but he's going to, you know, he's going to, you know, burn your, you know, he's going he's gonna to make your crops fail, and he's going to send the devourer if you don't tithe. You know, we had all that, like, crazy teaching of mixture. Like, God's good, but he's kind of schizophrenic, you know. He's like, what? He's like, you know. Don't, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? All right? And so we're like, Mary's like, do you think this could be the devil, like, tempting us to give these pots away? And we're like, Lord, is this the devil? And we're like, oh, no, this is not the devil temp- tempting us to be generous, you know? It's like, Hashtag duh, like help us Jesus. You know, we were just under that cloud, you know. And so here's the thing, guys. There's no law in the old covenant that says if a neighbor's house burns down, take your, you understand what I'm saying? Like you're being led on the inside. There's no law that says, you know what, your kid needs a little extra time. Give him a little extra love today. You know what, slow down and listen to this person. You know, you're kind of in a hurry, slow down. You know, that's on the inside. He's saying, I will write my laws in your minds and in your hearts. And then, you know, we live from that flow. We live from within. And then he says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God, this is, this is one of the most powerful phrases in the Bible. Because whenever he says, I will be their God, he's talking about he's going to show up in power in that situation. Isn't this interesting? So in the Old Testament, they waited from God on the outside to show up. And like he says, I will be your deliverer. I will be your healer. It's interesting. We get a little taste of the new covenant when we see Moses is getting ready to go against Pharaoh. And Moses is like, oh, I can't talk. I'm not very good. And here's what God says. God didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. He says, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Wow. Under the new covenant, we have been united with Christ. And he's given us his authority. 
See, Moses thought his problems was that Pharaoh was a big meaning. He wouldn't let his people go. God's answer wasn't like, oh, I'll change Pharaoh's heart. He says, I will make you as God to Pharaoh. Whatever situation you're facing, God will, he will make you as God to that situation because you've been united to Christ. Our dependence is still completely upon the Son of God. We're not, you know, we're not ascended to God level, but we've ascended to the level of God and been united with him. Guys, if it got any better, it would be heresy. It's like outrageous, okay? Verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And I just love how tenderhearted the Lord is that it always starts with the least. Doesn't he? And you know who the least is? Whoever recognizes that they're the least. He always starts with the people who humble themselves. Those who aren't humble, it takes them a little while to recognize, okay, I need God. All right, and so, um, but the idea here is you're not going to need to know the Lord by human effort. You're going to know him intuitively. In other words, you know, it's not like I've got to be a Christian for 30 years and have all this amazing experience and soak for three hours a day and only listen to good, you know, like you you don't have to do all those things. When you're born again intuitively, you're just going to begin to know it. This is him. Oh, he's leading me to go give this pots away. Yeah, that sounds like something dad would say, right? You don't have to have this amazing experience. You've got enough. He says, my sheep hear my voice. The problem is we don't always recognize it. I guarantee you are hearing God way more than you think, but here's what you're thinking is, um, oh, that was just me. Well, do you know who just you is? Just you is united to Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ. You want to know what God's will is? Have some thoughts. Is it loving towards God and loving towards people? It's not the devil. It's not your flesh. How we doing? All right, I'm only on page four. We got some more to go here. This is good. Now, how is God able to do all this? You guys have to get this. I mean, those are amazing promises. I love it. There's so many more in there. Here's the phrase that makes the entire new covenant work. He says, for... I will be merciful towards their iniquities and remember their sins no more. You have to understand this. For is a purpose clause, which means the whole, all these I will, I will, I will. The reason I will do, be able to do this is if you believe this. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I, this has become a power verse to me here in these last, I don't know, six, six eight months here. The New Testament was written in Greek. It is so strong in the Greek. It's a double negative. So it's like, never again will I remember. I think the NIV tries to say it, by no means. The reason he forgets your sin today is because he remembered all of your sins in the body of his son 2,000 years ago. He cannot punish the sins in your body and punish sins in his son's body at the same time. In the old, oh, this, this is good. This is worth the price of admission, okay? What did you guys pay? Nothing. Okay, here we go. In the old covenant, you had to keep all the Ten Commandments in order to qualify for God's blessing. Like, I don't know if you've, like, read the Old Testament blessings, and you're like, this is amazing. And then he says, if you keep all my commandments. Like, like that's not that great of a deal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you can win the lottery if you can jump over this 30-foot wall. It's like, are you serious? Like, that's not, like, good news. Right? Okay? So under the old covenant, you had to keep all the commandments perfectly. Then you got blessed. Oh, gee, thanks. Okay? 
So the old covenant was thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, right? Under the new covenant, did you notice a lot of what your part was? God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. So the Christian life is about looking away from myself towards my behavior, how much I deserve it, uh, towards looking towards Jesus. The new, okay, okay, where's the part that gets good? Where's that at? I thought it was coming up here. I'm just going to jump to the good part here, okay? Under the old covenant, obedience is what got you the blessings. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and Romans verse 16. This is huge. I remember I got this while walking the dog, and I came home and told me, I'm like, I can't believe it. I got a sermon this week. This is it. This is it. Romans chapter 1 and uh, in Romans chapter 16, Paul says, here's the gospel I preached to you, the obedience of faith. Okay, ready for this? Under the old covenant, you had to obey to get the blessings. Under the new covenant, in order to get all those I wills and all the other blessings, it's the obedience of faith, which means you have to believe correctly. Unbelief and believing incorrectly under the new covenant is the same thing as disobedience under the old covenant. It's not that God curses you. It's just that all those blessings do not come into your life when you're unbelieving. It's as if you were disobeying under the old covenant. That's the sermon. That's it. Now, here's the problem is uh, a lot of us have been taught that introspection is a really good thing. Has anyone ever gone deep into introspection and ever come out happy? <laughs> like, I could do a demonstration right now and go into introspection and in 30 seconds be depressed. Like, oh, like there's nothing beautiful on the inside of my own amazing effort. It's not like, oh, God, the day you got Baker, you got a sweet deal. No. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. There's nothing beautiful in your own strength. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a new covenant, and I'm going to make it foolproof. Bless you. That was one of those cute wife sneezes. I recognize that anywhere. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. He said, that old covenant, here's the problem. Perfect God, imperfect man. Where's the weak link? Man. So God says, I got an idea. Here's the new covenant. Perfect God with a perfect man, Jesus. Guys, the, the, the new covenant is not between God and man. The new covenant is between God and Jesus. There is no weak link in the new covenant. And you've been united to Christ, and the way you access all the blessings is believing that Jesus will keep his part. Obedience today is right believing. There's nothing for us to do and everything for us to believe. Well, hold on, Jim. Aren't we supposed to do this? Aren't we supposed to do that? Right believing will lead to right behaving. I mean, okay, let's, let's look at that last phrase one more time. For I will be merciful to their, towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Knowing that you're forgiven destroys the power of sin in your life. Here's what the Bible says. He who is forgiven much loves much. He who's been forgiven little loves little. There's never been a person on the planet who has been forgiven little. There's only those who recognize that they've been forgiven little. Little. Let's say you got saved when you were five years old. Since then, you've been forgiven much. The person who recognizes that they've been forgiven much loves much. The person who doesn't, they're going to struggle through the Christian life, and they're going to keep on trying to do it, and they're eventually going to give up and go and backslide and say, this thing doesn't work. Why? Because they're trying to live a new covenant life under the old covenant law. I'm trying to be good enough. And, uh. 
Was that like a little, tamper, a little sin temper tantrum? What was that? I don't know what that was. Let me give you an illustration here. Because <clears throat> I know some of you are like, well, Jim, I think we're supposed to do good things. We're supposed to be right. Okay. How many of you believe we need to have self-control? Self-control is a good thing. So let's say, um, let's say that there is a group in the, uh, in the church, and they're just having sex outside of marriage and going crazy. So what would be the way for me to give them, help them with self-control? Would it be to preach against sin and say, you need to stop this, thou shalt, thou shalt not? Many preachers have tried that approach, and it spreads like wildfire. The strength of sin is the law. So when you begin to give them law, sin spreads. Remember your youth group. How you doing? Ours is different. Thank you. Is it to say, listen, guys, you need self-control. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and you need to have self-control. Is that how you do it? That's one approach under the law. Okay. Bless God, they just need discipline. These kids today, what they need is discipline. They need willpower. Colossians actually talks about people who worship their willpower. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. If somebody's lacking these qualities of steadfastness, we have many things, steadfastness is good, godliness is good, love is good, right? How do you get these qualities? 1 Peter 5, 1, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Well, that's impressive. Virtue with knowledge. I like that. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Can you just see, like, I can just see, oh, slow down, sorry. Isn't it up there? Oh, yeah, it's up there. Okay, my wife told me to slow down. But you gave me the lengthen it sign, not the slow down sign, sweetheart, so. It's only 1129? Man, we might, be, we might be getting those food trucks before noon, praise God. All right. So, um. I just jinxed it now. Okay, what was I talking about? Okay, so you, you get, you get are you, so can you imagine reading this verse? You're like, oh man, this is like an impressive list. And you're like doing some flow chart. All right, so godliness and, and then steadfastness. Okay, I gotta, I'm going to try really hard, okay? And uh, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, man, I need this. <laughs> I want to be effective. I've got to get these qualities. Are you ready for the next verse? Guys, how many of you would agree? This is an impressive list of qualities here. This is, this is good stuff. And what's the Bible say the reason somebody lacks these? Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. O-M-G. God says the reason a Christian does not have all these qualities is because he's forgotten that he's forgiven. Right believing produces right behaving. I'm working hard here. I remember reading that and it hitting me for the first time and like, hold on, hold on. Maybe it's just like in one translation. I'm, I'm, I might, you know, you know, some translation like I don't know, and you read it another one, you're like that oh, seems different. Okay, I love how the Passion Translation puts it. Second Peter one nine, Passion Translation. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind. Constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence. I love that. For his past sins have been washed away. Guys, how are you going to get these amazing qualities in your life? You will live more holy on accident by getting a revelation that you are completely forgiven. There's nothing that you, that can, you can do or anyone else can do that can separate you from the love of God. I love how it doesn't just say that your sins are forgiven. He says he remembers your iniquities no more. Here's the picture. Is it's not this... Did somebody leave their offering up on the thing here? What is going on up here? There's a dollar, six, $2.06 up here. So 
It's a what is yeah. Someone someone prophetic find out what 206 means. Okay, there we go. Sorry, I'm getting shiny object syndrome this morning. Okay. What am I talking about up here? I was on Second Peter. Passion translation. All right, we're getting warmer. Yeah, we need to rewind the tape on that one. Right believing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Oh. What? The youth group? No, no, no. We're past the youth group. <laughs> Thor from Endgame? No, we're past that one. <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. So, oh, it's almost as if I forgot. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't even plan that. I know, I seriously didn't. I, I'm, like, I'm not that good of an actor, trust me. Like, if I'm trying to keep a surprise for my wife, she's like, you're lying, I know it. I'm like, I'm not lying. You're the one who's lying, you know. So it's not just that your sins are forgiven. He remembers it no more. So I want you to get this picture. He has made you completely innocent as if you never committed any of those sins before. It's not just that, oh, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. You know, there's this person. Look how good I am to this person, even though they're poor, wretched sinner. You know, oh, but I'm going to treat them a little bit nicer. It's as if you've been innocent your whole life. Listen, guys, here, here's the problem. It says Satan is the accuser. And so he's going to remind you of your sins and remind you of those things. And we begin to think it's the voice of the Holy Spirit. I remember getting in an argument with a, uh, with a leader one time, and um, he was talking about how God chastises me, and he beats me, and he scourges me. I said, that's not God. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? The religious spirit just, you know. And so uh, it's the same spirit that killed Jesus. The religious spirit is more holy than Jesus was. You know what I mean. And so, uh, you know, it's, you know it's, I said, listen, that's not God beating you and scourging you. And, and there's this religious thing that's like, the closer I get to God, the more aware I am of my sinfulness. The more aware you of your sinfulness, you're not going to be closer to God. You're going to be cowering in the corner. Listen, when your kids blow it, they don't want to hang around you. Like, it just even works at, like, the dog level. Our dog's been bad. Like, she knows. It's like, oh, Allie, are you kidding me? My little Alejandro, how could you break my heart like this? He remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more. Guys, listen, you've been made perfectly innocent before him. And it's not like he's this senile grandfather who just can't remember. I mean, I literally just had like a prophetic act in front of you of not being able to remember what happened. God does not remember what happened because he remembered your sin in the body of his son. For God to remember your sin, he'd have to forget what Jesus did. And to the level that you have a revelation of that, you'll begin to live right. More right on accident than you ever could on purpose. To the level that you have that, you're going to love God. We need to love God more. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the old covenant law. They said, Jesus, summarize the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself. And we hear a message, you need to do this. You need to love God more. Here's the new covenant. Um, we love God because he first loved us. You want to love God more? Let him love you more. 
I hope you polished your shouting shoes because you should be slipping them on about now. Most Christians believe that when they sin, they've broken fellowship with God. He doesn't hear their prayers anymore, and he can't use you. Maybe bad things are going to happen to them and their kids because they've lost fellowship with God. Broken favor, lost fellowship, distance and separation. Listen, when you're feeling condemnation and low, and you're coming before the Father, you're not believing. That's how you disobey under the new covenant is by not believing that my sins and lawless deeds are forgiven. Thank you for that loan clap. I will take that. Under the old covenant, you were sin conscious, constantly making blood offerings for your sin. Guys, remember the old covenant, God's like, hey, I'll bless you if you keep it perfectly. And so what they have to do is they had to keep offerings, sin offerings every single day. How'd you like to put that as a line item in your budget? <laughs> it's like, ooh, uh, Christmas is coming up. Give me some huge gluttony there. Uh, so maybe we'll put a little extra budget in there for some more sin offerings, you know. Why? God would look at that offering and he would remember that his son is coming. And so it temporarily covered their sin because he knew there's a perfect one coming, right? But now he knows that the perfect one is, remember, guys, they still got blessed under the Old Testament. God still fought for them. God still healed them. God still did things because these offerings reminded them that the son was coming. But when the wicked kings would turn their hearts towards idolatry and they stopped offering sacrifices, judgment came down. It got ugly quick. Right? But here's the thing. Under the new covenant, God remembers what his son did, and so he can treat you how he's always wanted to, even if you keep sinning. Remember the last message I did here? Sin changes your relationship. doesn't change your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with the devil. It gives him access to your life. He's going to want to eat your lunch and pop your bag. It's a bad deal with the devil. Okay? It's just, you know, listen to the message. Hot mess. But under the new covenant... He remembers, it says, uh, he, he is perfecting and, he, no, he is sanctifying you and made you perfect forever. To the level that you believe that, the new covenant blessings will begin to flow into your life. So under the old covenant, you were sin conscious. Under the new covenant, you are son conscious. And you always release the power of the covenant you are most aware of. I came up with that one about eight this morning. I was like, oh. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When you're sin, what are you most aware of? Your shortcoming or the forgiveness of your sins because of Jesus? Because you will release the power of the covenant you are most aware of. Well, Jim, people need to hear about the fear of the Lord. You need to preach the fear of the Lord. Let me ask you, what gives a person the fear of the Lord? Listen to Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This is amazing. Knowing how forgiven you are produces a fear of the Lord. Listen, if man was getting right, he'd be like, but with you there is fierce judgment and burning wrath that you may be feared. I've heard people say this, Jim, we need to preach on sin so we can have revival. Like literally in the last two weeks, I had somebody tell me this. We need to preach on sin so we can have revival. Every great revival of the past had a preaching of sin and there was repentance. I'm like, where's that in the Bible? Listen to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is the apostle Peter preaching, okay? Don't you think it probably, I mean, I'd love to get a sermon series from like Peter or Paul. 
Well, I'm like, wouldn't that just be like amazing? Like, I'd pay a high price to get like a bootleg copy of one of those bad boys, right? Even like a fuzzy Facebook Live or something. I'm like, like that would be sweet. We get an inside glimpse of exactly how, not how Peter wrote letters, of him actually preaching and how the Holy Spirit responded. Ready for this? Acts 10, verse 34. Slowing down. English Standard Version. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that, oh, let me set up the, the thing. Peter's preaching to a bunch of Gentiles. And under his mentality is God showed partiality and only did good stuff for the Jews. And now he's doing good stuff for the Gentiles, and Peter's theology is exploding here. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As, as for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened uh, throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, baptism, John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God is with them. That's the most famous verse in this sermon. I'm expecting him talking about Jesus being anointed, Holy Spirit and power. I'm expecting God to come in and just wreck the place. Like, that's a good sermon. That's actually my life verse. I had it on my license plate for years. Back when I had an Audi, but when I got rid of the Audi, I didn't feel like any car was worth that license plate. Anyway, it's the most famous verse of the sermon, but the Holy Spirit did not fall when he talked about the anointing. The Holy Spirit did not fall when he talked about healing and power and all this. Okay, Verse 9, or verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of, Jew, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach, I'm getting to the good part, to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged and living in the dead. Ready for this? To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. What was Peter preaching on when the Holy Spirit fell? Everyone can receive the complete forgiveness of sins. Verse 45, when the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. We need to preach on sin if we're going to get revival. It's not how it worked in the New Testament. When they talked about the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit fell. It doesn't mean like the Holy Spirit was like up there just walking back and forth. I was like, whoa, what a coincidence. The word fell there is this, I love how the King James puts it in the, the story of the prodigal son when the father ran to the son and it said he fell on his neck. It's a picture of a bear hug. He says, guys, you've been completely forgiven forever. You're walking under a waterfall of forgiveness for the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to hug all of them. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Holy Spirit falls. I conclude with this. For you to live a life above defeat and experience lasting breakthroughs, you have to have the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins. You don't confess your sins to be forgiven. You confess your sins because you're already forgiven. You've been, we did a whole message on this. We looked at how you are forgiven forever. Confess means to come into agreement with what God says. Listen, you're very open with your father. You blow it. You're short with your spouse. You're short with the kids, whatever it might be. You know, oh, God, please forgive me. No, no, no. Like, 
You've already been forgiven. It's God, I blew it. I'm sorry about that. Help me, help me live better. I need your grace. I, I, you know, show me what was going on there. If you need to go make it right with the kids or make it right with your wife, make it right with them too. Okay, but I'm not saying these things to get forgiven. I'm open with my father. I'm coming to agreement with what he says. But Lord, I thank you that I see the beating that Jesus took on his body, that you judged my sin in his body so it will not be judged in my body. Thank you. And just like the woman who was given grace who was caught in adultery, now she had the power to go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and sin no more. Promise me you'll never sin again, and then I'll forgive you. She was forgiven, and that grace gave her the power to walk free from sin. Guys, when you sin, just keep a short record with God because sin, it hardens your heart, it deceives you. You get under this condemnation. The first thing that comes to your mind when you recognize that you've sinned is, is God, thank you for Jesus. I, I don't want to live like this. I'm sorry. What do I need to do to make it right? Show me what I need to do. But I, but I thank you for Jesus. And he begins to wash you with that grace. And it says it's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. That's why there's this crazy passage that says, what, should we just go on sinning so that grace may more increase? Because every time I sin, I receive grace, and it changes me, and it just gets sweeter every time I blow it. Jim, how can my future sins be forgiven? Well, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. All of our sins were in the future. Hebrews 10, 14 uh, he says, we're forgiven all our sins, and he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Listen, the revelation of forgiveness does not detract from us living right. It's the fuel that makes it possible for us to live right. Right believing leads to right behaving. That's the obedience of the new covenant, the obedience of faith. You may be here today, and you believe you are born again, and you've been forgiven of your sins, but you also believe that you've got to carry the own punishment for your sins. That, you know, when, uh, when you blow it, God, he, there's distance between you and him. His displeasure is over you. Why don't you try this instead? Focus on Jesus and his finished work on the cross and think about the good news of grace. That God is not dealing with me based on my behavior. He's dealing with me based on Jesus' behavior. Let him receive that grace. Let it wash over you, and you will be changed. Guys, if you have an addictive habit... The way out of the addictive habit is not through willpower or accountability groups or all these other things. It's to encounter the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that enables you to change your mind about this whole situation. God is not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' behavior. And you don't have to earn it. It's a gift. You receive it. You look at Jesus. You're going to go from being sin-conscious to sun-conscious. And just recognize you are highly favored and accepted in the family of Jesus. I'm going to close with this illustration. I used it a couple months ago. I can't stop thinking about it. I think about it several times during the week. I don't want to say I think about it every day, but I think, I think about it several times during the week. And the illustration goes like this. Uh, you picture a young boy, and he finds this diamond about the size of his fist, and he just loves this thing. It's just beautiful. It's captured his imagination. But every time he goes and plays with the diamond, he gets it all muddy. So he has to go, and he walks it over. There's a waterfall by his house, and he walks it into this waterfall, gets it washed off. Now it's clean again. Goes and plays with it. Dirty, clean. Dirty, clean. That's the old covenant. You get cleansed. You go back through life. You get dirty again. You got to come back, offer a sin offering, and you're made clean. 
But under the new covenant, uh, what this little boy under, understood is there's this little cleft here, and this diamond fits in perfectly. And when he sets it under there, it stays continually under this waterfall and is continually cleansed. Guys, that's the new covenant. You are literally standing under a waterfall of forgiveness. You sin, you're already forgiven. And when I confess, now I can experience emotionally and experientially what was already there. And when I believe that, Romans 5, 17 says, I receive an abundance of grace and I begin reign in life through this gift of righteousness. The gift of recognizing I've entered into a realm where God's not dealing with me based on my behavior. He's dealing with me based on Jesus' behavior. Do you understand now how you can come boldly to the throne of good works? No, no, no. Boldly to the throne of grace. Because dad sees me innocent because he took all the bad stuff and he put it on his son and he punished it there. I'm walk, I walk into his throne under this waterfall. He says, come on up here. Let's do life from this perspective. Stop praying from earth to heaven and start praying from heaven to earth. You're seated with him in heavenly places. When you're praying, why don't you pray from the lap of daddy, looking at the problem, and he says, son, daughter, I've made you as a god to that problem. Don't back down. Is that good? All right, let's stand for closing prayer. Kingdom Wealth Laboratory or Kingdom Business Laboratory this fall. Doesn't that sound like fun? I have no idea what it's going to look like, but it's going to be awesome. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it's not a covenant like the old covenant. And I pray that just uh, more and more you'll remove the veil from our eyes. Remember what he said the veil was, guys? He said it was the law. It was you thinking that you've got to come to God and uh, you're going to be accepted by him based on your effort. That's a veil. So help us to see Jesus more clearly. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, in your sanctified imagination, remember, you've got the mind of Christ, so just do it with him. But uh, Holy Spirit, just show me what it will look like uh, to walk in that waterfall of forgiveness this week. What's it going to look like when you pray from a waterfall of forgiveness? What's it going to show, what look like for you to show up in your workplace this week under that waterfall of forgiveness with God whispering in your, I've made you a God to them? Remember, God came as a little baby. <laughs> he didn't come to dominate as a king. He came to serve, and he changed everything. So, Lord, I bless your people to walk under that waterfall of forgiveness in their school, in their homes, in the most difficult places. I thank you that you've called them to dark places because they were born to shine. I thank you that you've made them as a God to Pharaoh. Love, joy, peace, patience, power, solutions. Lord, I thank you for strategies. I thank you for divine connections. I thank you for wealthy relationships. I thank you for the hearts of the sons being turned to the fathers and fathers of the sons and moms to the daughters and daughters of the moms and reconciling families, impossible situations. Lord, I thank you that you're increasing the gift of healing in our people this, this, uh, this season, this week. 
Guys, you don't have to have an uh, awesome healing anointing. You just have to believe that Jesus does. I've got about zero confidence in my healing anointing. But I'm so glad Jesus is really good at it. You don't have to have confidence in your amazing business acumen. You just have to believe Jesus does. I bless your people. Lord, I thank you that we're not just some little church in Powell. But God, you've called us to change this city and to influence nations. I thank you that people are being raised up into their seats of destiny. They've been prepared for years for this season. Lord, I thank you that that itch that they're feeling in their spirit is about to get scratched. Some of you are like, put me in, coach. God's been preparing you. This is the time. I bless, bless your people. Is there anybody in here and you did not know Jesus?